you're listening to episode 381 of the Gnu World Order. Hey everyone, my name's Klaatu, this is an episode about some of the software that comes installed by default on Slackware, that's what we've been doing lately, and we just finished up the RPM package in the previous episode, so we'll be moving on to the RZIP package today right now. Let's talk about RZIP. What is it? What can you do with it? Well, as you might expect from the name, RZIP is a compression program. It zips up files. Uh, It says that RZIP, according to its man page, says RZIP is a file compression program designed to do particularly well on very large files containing long distance redundancy. Cool. Let's try it out. So, um, I don't really have that many large files, I don't think, and I, I wouldn't know. I mean, certainly not for instance, large files that happen to contain, that I could verify contain long distance redundancy. So I'll just try it on some random stuff and we'll just see kind of how it works. So uh, rzip, that's the command, and then the, uh, well, let's let's do dash dash help and see what it tells us. Yeah, it looks like uh, it's by Andrew Trigel. Well, that's interesting. Um, so rzip, yeah, you could do uh, rzip options and then file. So let's assume that that's sort of a guns, uh, gzip, sort of sort of syntax. So we'll say um, for the best compression we do a dash 9. That seems familiar to me from I guess InfoZip or whatever it's called. RZIP dash 9 and then we'll just uh, we'll, we'll, we'll randomly select a file, a single file to zip up. So this is example.xml, no idea what it is. Zipped up pretty quickly there and it looks like it has zipped up into an .rz uh, container. So now if I use something like example.xml.rz, let's do an unzip of that. And no, that does not know what is. So infozip or whatever it's called, the the, the main, you know, the, the zip program that you think of when you think of of these sorts of things doesn't understand what the rz extension is. Let's try it with something like 7zip. 7, 7z space x example.xml.rz that seemed to do it correctly that seemed to to successfully un- unzip that let me just try that again yeah so it it unzipped uh, with rz and let's see what else i can unzip it with uh, so 7z oh zip oh i was going i think i was going to try it gunzip I don't know why I'm going to try that, but why not? Example.xml.rz, unknown suffix, ignored. And then finally, let's try bzip2, and you'll find out why I'm going to try that in a moment. bzip2 dash, oops, one, two dash dash decompress example.xml.rz. Nope, not a bzip2 file. Cannot, cannot uh, unarchive that. So rz, the extension, and I guess the format, the compression algorithm, I don't know, seems to be um, kind of specific to rzip. So that could be a, draw, a potential drawback, I, I, I guess. I mean, it's open source, so it, it's probably not a huge drawback. It's just a question of whether it's going to be sort of, whether you can expect to find it on a computer by default. I think on many computers, you would not expect it to find that by default. I'm going to look on rel8 really quick. RZIP definitely isn't on RHEL 8, and I'm betting that if I searched its repositories, it probably wouldn't be there as well. I'm just kind of... I could be wrong. Uh, Trigil is pretty well-known programmer, so some of his little utilities may have gotten into some surprising packages. Uh, it could be in Samba, for instance. I haven't really checked. So I think for me, certainly the... not necessarily, You know, I, I have faith that it will continue to... that, that I'll have access 
to the data because it's open source. So I'm not too concerned about losing access to that decompression algorithm. That's not my concern in this case. But uh, one concern would be just kind of convenience, the convenience factor. Can I take this RZ file over to my laptop and expect to easily unzip it? Or can I send it to a mobile device and ever unzip it on there? So that's one one drawback I can see. Otherwise, it seems to be a pretty nice tool, to be honest. I mean, it's pretty simple. It doesn't have... it's not overwhelming. You know, if you think of, like, uh, 7-zip, that, that tends to be... I mean, like, if you look at the at the, at the the man page of, 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 of 7-zip, it's, it, it can be just staggering at times. It's just overwhelming. So the simplicity of the rzip command itself is kind of nice. It's also, um, unlike, unlike zip or 7-zip or probably a couple of other things, uh, it doesn't seem to have any interest in trying to compress a directory recursively, which you might think is annoying, but actually I quite appreciate that. The more I got used to tar and the the idea that in order to compress a thing, you have to wrap it up into a, a unified container like tar. The more I got used to that idea, the more I came to expect it, and it still throws me off syntactically when I'm using L uh, yeah, 7-zip and, um, and zip, info-zip, or whatever it's called. It, it still kind of trips me up when I have to remember to, okay, establish the archive that you want to create, and then the, the thing full of, of, of the files that you want to, to archive. Kind of like that about rzip, but yeah, realistically, the idea that it's probably not gonna be something that I could reliably find on other systems would definitely concern me. And I, I did, I just checked my RHEL 8 laptop, and it has no idea what rzip is. It can't find any mention of rzip in its repository. That's not to say it's not somewhere else. You know, I could, I mean, it's, I guess it's not on, um, EPEL because I have that enabled on here. So it's, it's not there. It might be something I could find in Fedora packages and then just re, rebuild that RPM for rel and then I would have it. But that's one step too much when you have other options that are just sort of the obvious ones. N- namely, really just gzip and bzip too. Honestly, those are those are just for for Linux compression. I feel like that's really good enough. So that's RZIP. Let's talk about SC now. SC stands for Spreadsheet Calculator, which is a weird name for this program. I think SC actually works better for me. I don't know what Spreadsheet Calculator means. I guess it means it's a spreadsheet. So SC is a a spreadsheet application for your terminal. And when I say it's for your terminal, I mean it is it it is a terminal user interface. It's a TUI. So you launch this application and it takes over your terminal, that window of your terminal. That is all that it is. So in the same way that you kind of lose your, your prompt when you start top or htop or emacs or, or vi, that's, that's the same idea here. Now when I start sc, I typically start it with a file name defined. I find that's the easiest way to do, to, to, to make sure that you get it to keep any data that you enter. Because then when you quit, it'll ask you if you want to save your changes. Under normal circumstances, if you don't have a file specified, then you have to go through that process. I find it a lot easier to, to just have a file defined, and that way if you want to keep what you've been working on, it's easy to, to save it as. So that's the first tip. Now when you start it, you see exactly what you would expect to see when you start, if someone were to say, this is a spreadsheet uh, application. And the, I guess the, the, the very best way to start SC really would, the, the, the first time, would be to set it to a file, the tutorial file. 
and that is kept on Slackware. It's in slash USR slash lib64 slash SC slash tutorial dot SC. And SC files uh, by recommendation end in the extension SC. So SC path to the tutorial, so that's users lib64 SC tutorial dot SC, takes you into a pre predefined kind of a structured uh, little spreadsheet with instructions on how to use it, how to navigate, how to move from cell to cell, how to enter data into a cell, and so on. It is a very brief tutorial. It doesn't go into great depth, but it does kind of get you up and running at least a little bit. Like, it gets you the really, really basics. So if if the only thing you need to do with a spreadsheet is sort of enter some data into some columns and have that and and have data that corresponds to it in an adjacent column that sort of thing or, or you, you just need to do simple maths then s the the sc tutorial will get you there and so i highly recommend doing that as the sc tutorial explains a cell can hold let's say four different kinds of data although it's really three but uh there are four different kinds of data, and one of them is left-justified text, another is right-justified text, and then numbers and formula. So it takes a little bit of get, getting used to the feel of this, of, of the data entry process, because I think naturally your inclination is going to be exactly like in LibreOffice Calc. If you select a, if you navigate down to a cell and you start typing, then you sort of expect your, whatever you've typed to appear in that cell. And that's not how SC works. SC is a little bit more Vim-like in that sense. You kind of have to tell it what you're about to do and then do it. So if you want to enter text that is left justified, you first type the less than symbol, so that's the the symbol with the little point pointing to the left, and then you can enter some text, such as, I don't know, foo. That makes the very top row of the SC window turn into a data entry row, and that can be a little bit confusing as well. So I'm going to do left, and then I'm then I look up at the top of the screen, it says left string A34, A34, because that just happens to be the cell that I arrowed around to, equals, and then a double quote. So then you just write your, your text, so foobar, for instance, and then I'm just going to hit return. So you don't actually have to close your own quote, uh, and that took me a while to, to figure out that you didn't actually have to close that. Not that it, it doesn't really matter whether you you close it or not, but I mean it's just it's something to be aware of that you don't actually have to do that extra key press. You can just hit return, and then it it auto closes the quote for you. If you want to enter right justified text, then it's the greater than symbol, so the 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 pointy end of that of that bracket pointing to the right. And then again, uh, I'll just do baz return. And now I've got Baz right justified in the same in the same cell. I've um, overwritten my former my, my previous entry. Okay, so s- same idea with with numbers. You just do an equal sign first, and then you can enter numbers. And that did not work for me. Why didn't that work? Oh, that's interesting. So it's actually containing both my string and my number value. I've never done that before. It is. It is retaining the string baz and then the integer tw- uh, the integer that I just randomly entered, which was 12. So if I go to a blank cell and then enter 12, for instance, then I see 12.00. The decimal value or the, the decimal places that it tracks 
can be set through preferences, which can be set either in a .scrc file, I think it is, or a um, within the cell itself, you can hit uh, capital S to set uh, any number of options. And I don't know the option off the top of my head to, to remember which one that is um, to set. But yeah, it's, so it's the, the, the preferences for each either cell or for the spreadsheet itself can be entered into either .scrc in your home directory or as as part of a, a capital S command, a set command per cell. So that's quite useful. Uh, I've used that a lot for rounding like if if I, if I need something to round up or down, and that's a little bit wonky too, the way they do rounding. But anyway, um, I've had to round things, and so I just set round to even, and then it it rounds to even. Okay, so that's um that's the that's the integer equal uh, entry, and then of course there's a formula entry, which again it's equals, but then it's it's some mathematical expression. Or, or similar. So, for instance, if I wanted to do an A34 plus B34, so I do equals A34 plus B34, hit return, and then I have 24. And that's really cool. I did not know you could embed integers into a cell already containing a string. That is really nice. I'm very much a fan of this. Uh, and it resolves correctly. So I, I just entered A34 plus B34, and it, it came up with, with 24, which is 12 plus 12. Uh, let's see if I if I uh, decrement this down to 10, for instance. Oops, I forgot to hit the equal sign. So equals 1, 0. Yep, and my formula updated to 22. So that's that's really neat. Did not know that about the um, the co the, the two different data types in one cell before. I had, I'd never made that mistake before, so I never discovered that feature. Okay, so uh, let's. I guess we could talk really quick, maybe about editing uh, cell data. So b just because we we may as well. So um, so once again, just thinking almost in Vim terms here. You kind of have to tell the, the program, SC, what you are going to do, and then you can do it. So uh, to edit, it is almost intuitively, I, I would argue, E, the letter E, to edit. Now that turns your top line of SC into, um, into a view of what the cell contains. So when you are setting the contents of a cell, you, you, you're, you're running a let command, essentially, within SC. So you see here that you've got E, uh, sort of an E prompt, and the word let, and then A34 equals 12, because that's what I had set it to uh, previously. Now, strangely, and I don't understand why this is, but when you're in edit mode, in order to actually make an edit, you have to go into insert mode, so just like, like very much like in Vim, so you have to press I to sort of get into the actual edit mode. I don't know why that is. I don't understand yet what other thing I would do while editing that I wouldn't want to be in insert mode. So, and it doesn't really help much that um, I don't feel like I don't feel like there's a whole lot else that uses the insert mode. I, I don't. I, I'm not thinking of anything else where I have to go into like do I, the, when. When else do you have to press I? in SSC to edit something. I, I can't think of one. But anyway, so that that, that obviously, um, I guess, edits the, the integer of, of a cell. And then as I recently discovered live on this show, if you press, uh, oops, not equals, if you press, um, let's say, left, left justified string, and then I'll change it back to foo. So now I have a left justified string 
and a foo, and, and then st still the integer, which I've edited down to 10, making my uh, formula three cells or two cells over, rather, uh, to resolve to 20 now, because I have 10 and 10 that I'm adding up. So that's the basics, and that's the kind of stuff that you learned from the tutorial. Yeah, it, it, it takes you through data entry and then editing the contents of files. Oh, see here it tells me uh, I can E, I can capital E edit a string portion. So I, I'd forgotten about that feature as well, or that command rather. Um, and then it gets you, I don't know, it, it shows you a couple more things, but it's um, it's pretty terse. Pretty, pretty brief, pretty minimal, but it is good and I highly recommend it. So if, if you want to learn this little application, you'll, you'll definitely want to try the tutorial. And it does take practice a little bit. There are some things in it that just don't quite always feel just quite natural if you're coming from another spreadsheet application. Now, I'm not a heavy user of spreadsheets. I do, I have been using them more than I used to. I used to just, I never touched them. They were not a thing that I had any interaction with whatsoever for the longest time. I'm talking years and years. Um, but since I've been playing games, like uh, role-playing games online, due to uh, there being a pandemic in this wonderful world that we live in, uh, I, I've been playing a lot more games online, and I have found that it is useful, because normally, when I'm playing uh, games that are traditionally analog, I have books in front of me. And, and papers and things like that. And that's really how I like it. But uh, for online stuff, of course, you're in front of a computer anyway, and you've got your keyboard there, and it, it almost, you, your, your focus now has to become divided between the books that you have and then whatever else, the, the other components that are happening on screen. Uh, and I, it, that is definitely a split of focus that I don't really love. I would rather just keep it either one or the other. So I have been using spreadsheets a lot more now uh, because I will take the character statistic sheets that you use for an RPG, a role-playing game, and just put it into a spreadsheet on the computer. So doing that in SC I think will be even better because I certainly do prefer to just have everything or as much as I can in a tabbed terminal and that way I just have everything that I need just cycling through tabs. So I'm very excited to have found SC and I've started constructing character sheets in SC and it's gone pretty well so far. So let's talk a little bit about some some of the some of the, the different the, the, the sort of the practical things that you you'd, you'll want to practice in SC uh, and and this is just the stuff that I've sort of started doing so it's not it, it probably doesn't this probably doesn't include everything that you would personally need to do in a spreadsheet and and your workflow may be even you know completely different than mine so it'll it'll depend largely on what you're doing with a spreadsheet but I'll go through some of the I, what I think are kind of the basics, and what are, to be fair, uh, quite different from what you might expect if you're used to the the graphical style of, um, you know, sort of mouse-driven spreadsheet stuff. So, SC uh, to copy a cell, you know, I mean, well, for, so for, first of all, let's do this. Um, let's enter some values into column A. We'll just do equals 14, 10, 15, 8, 12 and 13. So I have I have this this series of of values in a 0 through 5 and in the next column I want to do some math on 
those values. So now in B0, I'm going to enter a simple little formula, which is going to go something like equals A0, and then I don't want to do a divided by, I want to do a, I want to get the remainder of, so I want to get the modulo of what would happen after division. So I'm going to do a percent sign, and if you're if you're used to programming it in many many different languages, that's the that's the the operator designating modulo, so that should be pretty familiar to you. And if you're not, now you've learned something new. A0% 10. That gives me a 4. Oh, actually, you know what? I didn't want that. Okay, so I need to edit that cell, right? Well, we know how to do that. That's pressing E while on that cell, and then I to get into insert mode for some weird reason. So we'll enclose that in, in parentheses, and then we'll do a divide by 2, because that's what I want to do. And that leaves me with a 2 in B0, because 14 modulo divided by 10 modulo would be 4, divided by 2 is, is 2. And don't worry about the formulas, that's not really important. Um, it's just something that, trust me, I need to do for a, a, a spreadsheet, uh, and so that's this is just kind of that process. Okay, so now I want to do that along the entire column. I want to do that for every value in A1 through A5, and I haven't entered once in B0, so uh, in a normal sort of graphical spreadsheet situation, I would select the cell with my mouse, I would copy it, control C, and then I would select the range over which I want it to be pasted, and I would press Control V, and it would adjust the values, you know, because this, this formula includes essentially a variable, a cell name, or a cell designator, rather, A0. And we want that, when, when I paste the formula to B1, I want A0 now to be A1. So I want it to be pasted across a range with appropriate adjustments. And that's kind of bare minimum for a, a modern spreadsheet. That's just what one would expect. Well, you can do that. So the way that you do that in SC is you do a range copy. And this is a little bit tricky, and the logic is kind of all over the place, but once you practice it, it starts to make sense. So I'm going to do an R, which gives me a range operator. Uh, so I'm on, sorry, I'm on B1, although actually I wouldn't even have to be on B1. I could be anywhere to do this. Uh, and I hit R. It gives me a range menu up at the top. Range, X to erase, V for value, don't know what that is actually, C for copy, F for fill, D for def, probably define, l for lock, unlock, show, undefined, format, etc. Okay, so what we want to do in this case is copy. So I'm going to hit C for copy, and now it gives me a new little uh, prompt at the, the top of my screen. It says V, it's a V prompt, and it says copy, and then it tells me what it needs. It says um, dest range, source range. So because I am on B1, I can navigate down with the arrow key and select B1 to B5. Now I could also just manually type that in, but I'm being lazy, so I'm just navigating to show it the range. And then I'm going to hit return for that to be a value that it enters. Oh, maybe I wasn't supposed to hit return there. Okay, I'm doing that again. This time I'm not hitting return, I'm hitting space. There we go. B1 colon b5 is the destination range and then it's prompting me again for the source range and i could again just kind of arrow up to uh, b0 because that's where i want to copy from and then hit hit return in this case oh boy this is tough but again you can also just manually enter that you could just do well i know i want to copy from b0 and enter that and then hit return and it does it copies it pretty pretty perfectly. It's A1, A2, A3, A4, A5. Okay, so the only 
problem here that I'm seeing is that uh, some of these are rounding or are not being rounded off. There, I've got a 2.0, a 0.0, a 2.5. I don't want a 2.5, 4, 1, and then 1.5. So I don't want those 0.5s. So to my mind, we should be able to round this, uh, that value. So I'm going to go into edit mode here back it up. Functions are defined or are designated by the at symbol. So if I go to the, the top of this operation and put at, um, let's see what it is. I think it's at rnd. I just have to kind of um, make sure that that's correct because there's two different, there's two very similar ones. There's round, yeah. There's round and then rnd. So I, I want rnd and then parentheses to enclose all of this in parentheses. And that should sort of do it. And yeah, it did it. It set it to 2.0. Now, I think it only did that because I have some options set, which I wanted to discuss, but I guess I set it sort of permanently and didn't realize it. So um, there's an option to round to even, which forces it to round it to the nearest even number rather than whatever it would do when rounding otherwise. So for instance, previously when I did this operation, I did a uh, round operation on on this cell and it rounded 2.5 up to 3. So in that case, what you can do is do a capital S to set a value and then round, what do they call it? Round to even, I think is what it's called. Yeah, and, and now you've set an option in that cell to be rounded to even rather than just to round um, in, in to round up essentially and apparently they call it bankers rounding bank bank rounding something like that I'm not sure uh, either way just it's capital S to set to set your options or, or to set a yeah to set an option lowercase s uh, no uh, capital S no something's wrong yeah okay there's another op there's another way to set options and I'm forgetting it uh, right now oh it was toggle control T to toggle certain options that's yeah and that's there there are quite a few nice little options there that you can toggle on and off but in this case we're just setting uh, round to even and then everything's getting rounded down correctly but I still have this other one in um, B5 that has a 1.5 and I want to get that to the same state um, and the, the reason that it's not being rounded at all is because I didn't I haven't rounded it yet I, I only set the at round for a if for B2 and and that's it. Um, I mean, in real life, I, I I would just I would want that on all of the values because these values in the A column could change. But for now, I'm just I just I'm trying to use this as an exercise. So, to copy a single cell to another cell, so you're not doing a ranged copy or anything like that. To do a quick sort of copy of one to another, you can mark a cell. So I'll hit. Uh, in my at round in my b2 column or my b2 cell which has that nice rounding formula in it I'll mark it with an M and then it says at the top it says mark cell and it's what it wants from me is a single letter to as a designator so I'll just hit a because I'm this is the first thing I've copied or marked rather and then if I go down to b5 where I want to paste this thing I can do C to copy and it says copy marked cell and I can enter a and then it it enters a for me into this into this um, into this cell, and see that's this. So this is the thing I don't understand about the rounding because 
in this case, it, it, it rounded to even, but I don't actually want it to round to even in this case. I want it to round down to the, to the nearest uh, whole integer. So I can turn, I can stop it from rounding to even by being on the cell, hitting capital S, and then just doing ex exclamation mark RND to even, and that's, that, that works. Um, it's still it's still not behaving the way that I want it to. Now there's a similar rounding function called just at round r o u n d, uh, and then as my second argument for that, I can tell it how many decimals to look when rounding. So I could adjust the way that it's that it's making its call there. But yeah, it's it's a little bit strange, and I, I don't I don't quite understand some of the I don't understand some of the subtleties of of the way it it figures out how to round. Um, but it's probably me. It's probably not SC. It's probably my um, poor understanding of how math works uh, and, and some of the terminology around math that's sort of messing me up there. And that's okay. It's fine. I can live with that. Uh, and I'll just continue to explore SCs. Uh, different options for the, for the functions it has quite a few uh, I don't know how it compares to something like LibreOffice Calc I'm not sure but there are lots of built-in string functions like uh, substring selectors and uh, things like that but there's also for instance um, a lot of numeric um, num uh, numeric ones and then also financial ones which I know nothing about so that's kind of interesting. And then there's, you know, format, sort of formatting things as well, like at year, at month, at day, at hour, things like that, where, where you can get, you can do sort of like date functions and things like that just within a cell, which I imagine would be useful. Um, don't really have a use for it myself, but I could see how that being a thing would be good. Um, so yeah, that's, that's SC. It's a really, really interesting application. Um, it, it is one of those things that you really do have to practice at it because the, the flow of the order that you're pressing keys may not be what you immediately expect. A lot of it is intuitive. And I, I actually do mean that like it is actually intuitive. Like a lot of this stuff I didn't know before I started using it. I just kind of, I felt like E for edit made sense. And it did. I felt like um, moving over a range of cells to define a range seemed to make sense. Not hitting return, you know, hitting space instead of return, that a little bit less intuitive. So, and th and that's how I would characterize the whole application. There, there are moments of great intuitiveness, and then there are moments of surprise. That's not what you're supposed to do here. Like total, total violations of expectation, which is fine. That's fine. That's not. I, I'm not saying that, that that's a poor design by any means. I am simply saying, as you're using it, there will be times when you take a guess, a wild guess, and you'll be completely spot on, and you'll think, oh my gosh, how great is that? And then there'll be other times where you think, oh, that's not what I wanted to do. Undo is an important thing to know about. It is, intuitively enough, the U key, undo. Not very intuitively. Um, very frequently, the undo action is an is essentially an edit action. So you have to go into the cell with edit and then press undo. And that is, of course, U instead of I for insert. So I don't, once again, I, I'm not exactly sure why that would be, like, why, why is that a thing? Why, why not just press U out in the main spreadsheet? Why do you have to go into the cell to undo an action? That's the kind of thing that, yeah, it, it does, does trip you up in just little tiny ways every now and again. But 
if you read through the manual page and you do practice, you do get a feel for sort of the design philosophy. And after you're, you know, once you've once you've got that down, then you're you're off and going. There's and there's lots of features. Like I say, I mean, there's lots of functions. There's lots of things that you can do. But there's also, I mean, there's formatting and there's coloring. You can turn colors on. Uh, they have Braille options. They just it it goes. It goes out of its way to give you things that, I don't know, for a terminal application, you might think, well, nobody cares about that in this case, right? I mean, that's this isn't that kind of application. Yeah, it is. It is. So SC, a really, really cool and fun application to explore. Do check it out. I've had a lot of fun with it, and I, I intend to continue to use it on a regular basis, most likely. Unless I can find something already in Emacs with with similar or better um, experience, which org mode table like you can do a lot of cool things with org mode tables, but I gotta say the the sort of the rigid sort of like predictability of SC at least in layout and such and, and the the sane formula syntax I, I quite like it I'm I'm a, I'm definitely a fan I think it's time for a coffee break so step away from SC it'll be difficult to do but do step away from it long enough to get a coffee, and then come back, and we'll talk about GNU Screen. coffee. I've got coffee. I'm drinking Kilimanjaro. That's that's the name of the blend. It's from a local, well, local. It's like an hour away. That's the local sort of, it's the, it's called Bin Inn. B-I-N-I-N-N. It's the place where you get dry goods in bulk. You bring your own container and you just fill up your own container. And that's how I get my coffee lately. Is I go to Bin Inn and fill up a big jug full of coffee beans. And then I grind it on demand here at the house and make really delicious coffee. It's quite good, Kilimanjaro. I, I don't know anything about it, but it is it is good stuff. That's what I'm drinking. And what we're talking about now is GNU Screen. GNU Screen is, I mean, it's the quintessential classic terminal multiplexer, I guess is what we're calling it these days. When I was introduced to Screen, the a- analogy for me was, well, you know how on Linux you can have more than one desktop? Which, by the way, I still forget how how we Linux users take that for granted. I mean, I remember it being one of the main features for me in Linux early on. And when I say early on, I mean for like the first eight years of using it. And I feel like at some point it became such an integral part of my ex- of my computer experience that it's just it it isn't like i it somehow became so important that it forced me to take it for granted if if you know what i mean in, in a way that essentially i simply won't accept a a computer without that feature at this point like it is such an expectation of mine that I don't consider a computer that you hand me a real live computer if it doesn't have multiple desktops. Like that's how that's how big of a part of my computing experience multiple desktops is. And I know that some operating systems and probably some 
there are probably some applications out there that enable it on others. I, I know that they've borrowed that concept from Linux, but if you show me one user outside of Linux who actually uses multiple desktops in the way that a Linux user uses multiple desktops, I will, I, I will be very surprised because I've not seen it yet. I have not seen a, a Mac user or, or I guess a Windows user. I mean, I don't even know if it's possible on Windows. I mean, I'm sure it's possible, anything's possible, but I, I don't think it's a built-in thing on Windows at all. But I, I have not yet seen a user flipping between desktops on any operating system other than Linux, and it just kind of surprises me. Anyway, wouldn't you like to have that kind of flexibility in your terminal? You might think, well, I already have that flexibility in my terminal. I have tabs, and you'd be correct, but the cool thing about screen is that it works whether or not your terminal interface has a tabbed feature. Uh, so if you're, for instance, stuck in, I don't know, Xterm or something without a tabbed interface by default, I don't know if there's something you can add on to Xterm. I know with UR, or RxVT-Unicode, you can add that to your terminal tabbed interface, which is quite nice. I think it's a Perl program that you use. Xterm, I don't think there is. But also, if you're just stuck without graphical display, like working over a remote connection, or you're working with something where X or Wayland, whatever, isn't starting, whatever the case might be, you can have that now with Screen. So Screen, when you launch Screen, actually I have no idea what happens when you launch Screen anymore, because I have mine heavily customized, but when you type in Screen, then you, your terminal again, is kind of taken over, but this time your Screen isn't, you, you don't lose your prompt the way that you would lose it if you started Vi or Emacs or SC, you are given a new prompt within screen. And so to your, to, to, to just look, to look at it, you might think, well, nothing's really changed except that now at the bottom of the terminal, you have the host name, um, some kind of label for the, for the screen that you're on, and, uh, the date and time, or at least that's how I have mine laid out. I don't remember how much this is customized. And so it doesn't look a whole lot different. But now if I do something like echo hello world, now I've got hello world on my terminal, in, in, in this terminal. Now if I hit, and the, I'm, I'm going to get to something very important in a moment, but if I hit control A and then C, so control A and then hands off the keyboard, hands back on the keyboard C, then everything goes away. No more echo hello world. I've got a new prompt and, and it, 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 it's as if though I've cleared my screen. Ah, but at the bottom now I have two labels. I've got zero bash and one bash and one bash is highlighted. And that's because I've essentially created a new terminal and placed it over the top of my previous terminal. To get back to the other one, I can press control A and then N for next, and it cycles through, and since there's only two, then it cycles back to the zeroth screen. And you can do this all day. You can just keep adding screens, piling them up on top of one another, and essentially you're building a tabbed bar, a, a tabbed interface down at the bottom of your window that you can cycle through with control A, N for next, or control, I think, P for previous, and so on. Pretty fancy stuff. You can also um, split the screen, which of course is really, really neat, uh, because that way you can have more than one terminal interface on the same screen. Uh, and and that, that's useful, for instance, if you are maybe reading a, a file, or, or maybe you're, you're, um, you're watching a, you know, some source code compiling, and you want to know when it's done, but you don't want to just sit there and watch it, but you do want to have an eye on it. So you can split the screen and then have have um, have the other the other terminal window, you know, on the left of your of your um, of your screen. Now the way to 
to flip or, or rather to navigate between those two splits is control A and then the tab key. And that's that always throws me off a little bit because in Emacs, when you split your screen, it's uh, control X other, uh, O for other. And so that's what I keep wanting to do. I want to do a control A or, or whatever it would be. Uh, control A, I guess, is what we're going with. And then O for other, but that's not correct. That will not get you to where you want to be. Okay, so um, because I'm starting to do different things than what I'm actually saying uh, in uh, over my voice, uh, I will I will now reveal that I don't use Control A. So if you're a frequent Bash user, then you know, or Emacs user, then you know Control A means to go to the beginning of a line. And so it's it's really really jarring to me, and I I use Control A all the time. So it's very jarring to me to have the f the initial control A sort of eaten by screen. And this is my one really big complaint of screen, is that for whatever reason they chose control A for their command sequence. And I don't know why they would do that, because surely they knew that Bash uses control A to go to the beginning of, this, of the terminal line. I, I don't know why they would have done that. But anyway, they did, and um, and that's fine. They can do that because we can remap it. And so I'm going to actually destroy this split, I think. I'm tired of the split. I don't know how to dis destroy a split. So um, if you need to go to to get help on screen while you're in screen, you can do a control A question mark, and that brings up the help menu. And yeah, it looks like it's just the, the, the letter X it removes removes a split screen. So that's good to know. Okay, so we will then, uh, let's see, split and unsplit. Yeah, okay. All right, so we're um, we're back into a unified screen, which makes no difference to you, but it makes a difference to me because I'm looking at it. Um, oh yeah, and you can also go straight to a tab by with your, your com command sequence, whatever that is. So in this case, it's still, we're pretending like it's uh, control A. So control A and then the 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 number that you want to go to now I I still only have two tabs open but in theory I could do like Control A and then one and then that would take me to to the the tab labeled one bash so that's kind of useful you can rename tabs as well with the uh, command sequence so again pretending like it's Control A and then and then it's the the letter A for um, f capital A to get into this thing where you can set your Windows title. So we'll do this, uh, I don't know, demo. So now at the bottom of my screen I have zero bash and one demo. Doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't give you any extra features, but it's it's nice. Uh, after a while, you know, if you have like nine bash sessions, it's, it's kind of nice sometimes to give yourself some kind of idea of what that might be referring to. Alrighty, so I'm gonna look at my, that's what I was trying to do all this time, is look at my screen RC. And, oh, it's actually quite, yeah, this is, um, this is more complex. It's probably not as complex as they come, but this is more complex than I realized. Uh, so the, the one that I actually care about here is at the bottom. I'll, I'll have to paste my screen RC into the show notes. I will do that, um, on the website. So if for some reason, I don't know, if there's anything useful in there, maybe, maybe that would be nice. Um, I don't, I certainly do not, for instance, have the startup message when I start screen. That seemed 
after you've read that 50 times, it seems like it's not as important anymore. The um, escape sequence is what I really care about, though. And for that, you can redefine it. So by default, it is Control-A, and that, that does eat your initial Control-A, which for Bash users, for Bash and Emacs users, you know that that's an important command sequence. So to redefine that in a .screenrc file saved in your home directory, you can enter the word escape, E-S-C-A, E-S-C-A-P-E, escape, space, and then the caret symbol, so the, the symbol above the six on the, um, on the, uh, U.S. keyboard. I get, what is it called? Like a circum, I don't think it's a circumflex. Anyway, it's the little hat, and, uh, that go, acute? Is it acute? Um, it's, it's the caret symbol, and then, and then the, the, the letter that you want to use as your escape letter. I don't know if it's, um, I don't remember why I have it both lowercase and capital, but my full sequence, my, my full string here, my, the full line reads, escape, space, caret, lowercase j, capital J. Start screen again with, with your new settings, and from then on, instead of control A, it's control, for me, it's control J. Uh, I chose control J because I couldn't think of anything that used control J, and so far that's been pretty much correct. I, I can't think of any program that maps anything to control J. I think there is like one or two that I can, that I did have discovered fairly recently, but control J just seems to be a, a very, sort of like no one can really think of anything that starts with a J that you need to do on a computer, I guess. Jump, maybe jump to something, that would be a thing. Anyway, in Bash it doesn't mean anything, so you can do that. And that's what I've done, and it is indeed very liberating. Okay, so let's see. The other, another thing that is a really, really big deal about, about screen is that it, it demonizes your 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 terminal session your your bash session and by that i mean if you're running stuff in screen it becomes detached from whatever interface you've you've initiated that process it becomes a demon it, it, a demon process it is running you're, you're essentially running a client onto a into a looking into a background process practically and what all of that means is that, for instance, if I'm on my desktop and I go into screen and I start some very long process, maybe I'm compiling something or encoding a video or, or whatever it might be, and then I decide that I want to go into the lounge with my laptop. So now I've got something running on the desktop that maybe I want to check in on later, but I'm all the way over in the lounge. Okay, in real life that's like eight steps away, but but pretend like it's a big deal. Maybe I'm really, really comfortable in the lounge. Or maybe I have a cat in my lap. That that actually could, that's a real possibility. And that makes it impossible to stand up and check on something, some process running on the desktop. So I can run it in screen. I've, I'm, I am running it in screen. So I can then SSH over to my desktop from my laptop and open a session on my desktop and type in screen dash R A capital A, D. That's, that's the sequence that I always type in. Does it actually have to be all of that? I don't know. Let's see. Dash R. Dash R says reattach. That makes sense. Dash D, do not start screen, but detach it elsewhere if it's running. Dash A, include all capabilities. Dash capital A, adapt sizes of the windows to your current terminal. Okay, yeah. Those are all good, those are all good options to do then. So I, I remember it as rad-ra, but then a capital A, and then also a lowercase d. So that's, that's sort of the one that I always use, is screen r-a-a-d. And then your screen, just as you left it on your desktop, appears in your terminal on your laptop. And the process is still running, you can do some new operations within that screen session, and then 
detach from the screen session again and come back to it back on your desktop later. So it's a completely, it is a free floating process that is occurring sort of outside of your computer if, if or, or outside of your user session, your login session in a way. I mean, it isn't, but I mean, it, it kind of is. It's happening as a, as a process that your computer is running now. And screen, you can think of it as kind of your client window into that, into those processes. I mean, really, like, honestly, I almost feel, and I've, I have done this before, where my login shell was screen. And it wasn't the worst way in the world to live. Uh, definitely at, at a job where I would find myself getting up away from my desktop on a regular basis, going to check on things in other rooms in the building, having a sudden realization, oh, I need something from my desktop, or I need to check on something that was happening on my desktop, whatever. Having it in screen, the screen as my login session made very, very good sense. It was just something that was priceless. Nowadays, where, yeah, like, the, the farthest I am ever from my computer is, like, maybe 15 steps if I'm at the very end of the, of the other room. Um, but, or, or another room, it's not just a two room, it's a, it's got many rooms, but anyway, wherever I am in this location, I am not that far from my desktop, screen has become a little less of something that I lean on, um, but it is a, it's, it's a really great application, and I think there probably is an argument to just run everything in screen all the time, there's, because it doesn't cost anything, and it keeps you flexible in terms of how you then monitor and reconnect a process. And I mean, think about it, you can, you can run something in screen and then, like, close your terminal windows. Like, you don't even have to have a terminal open now for a thing to be running on the computer. And you can always check back in on it if you want to. You open up a new terminal, type in screen dash R-A capital A-D, and now you're back in it. So, that's really important. Now, the, it's important for you to know as well. So when you are in screen and you do, let's say you want to walk away from it for for the moment, then what you need to do is detach from screen. Because if you just go closing your... Let me see if I can get it to chime. Yeah. If you just go to close the terminal, then it'll, it'll ask you, or at least con console on KDE asks you, hey, there's processes running. Are you sure you want to quit? Well, no, you don't want to do that. You don't want to just, you don't want to kill nine screen. You want to detach from it. So within screen, type in screen dash D or dash dash detach, I guess, probably. Nope, that doesn't exist. Just a dash D will detach you from screen. And it says remote detached from 4163.pts-2. So you've detached from it. So now that screen is still running and you can close console or your terminal of choice, and then later on open it back up, either in console or in a in a text console or in RxVT or whatever it is that you're using, doesn't matter, screen-raad, and now we're back in that screen session that we had just detached from. So don't just walk away from it and, and quit it. That, that, that won't keep it running. You want to detach from it and that kind of sends it, you can think of it as it's sending it into the background. So there you go, that's screen. It's a great application. There, there's a lot more that you can do with it. I mean, you can, you can, you can manipulate your, your, your screen layout in lots of different ways. Um, I feel like I've walked away from screen for a couple of reasons. One, like I say, my workflow has just become so simple now that, that screen, I, I don't necessarily need screen the way that I used to need screen. So that's, that's one way that I've kind of 
meandered away from screen. Another reason is because Emacs has a lot of split screen stuff as well, and for for about half or more of what I'm doing in Emacs, like a lot of times it just makes more sense for me to have to split the, my screen eight different ways in Emacs and have one of those quadrants. Why did I just say eight ways and then have it a quadrant? Um, let's do it easy. Split it four different ways and have one of those quadrants uh, be a shell. Now the Emacs shell isn't it isn't the best shell in the world. It it isn't you know you wouldn't want to live in it. But for for things that I'm I'm doing in relation to something in Emacs, a lot of times that's that's good enough. You know that'll launch a a command or or rather it'll it'll run the code that I'm working on in Emacs or something. You know the script or something to test it. You know whatever I'm doing. Um, so that's that's nice. And then I think the third and final reason I've wandered away from screen a little bit is because Tmux exists. And that's kind of the, that's the classic, the new sort of Emacs versus Vi religious war, uh, screen versus Tmux. And a friend of mine, Cobra 2, used to tell me all the time, you should be using Tmux, not screen. And I acknowledged that he was probably correct, but I also kind of felt like, well, the features that he is listing out to me are not things that I need right now. And so then... One day I was at a technical conference and I really, really needed a way for me to be typing on in a terminal and have the audience see that, but for me to have access to a terminal on the screen as well and not have the audience see that part. So I, I needed like a fake sort of presentation mode and I couldn't figure out how to make that happen So because I, I would... I would flip away from the terminal that I was typing into, and the audience would see that. And I didn't want that. I wanted them to see just this one thing constantly. But I wanted to be able to enter text into it. So the way that I, I devised to, to be able to do this was I had a Tmux session running, and I had that full screen on like whatever view the audience had. And on my screen, which they weren't looking at, it was a separate screen, I had, so I wasn't mirroring my screens, in other words. So I had one screen that the audience could see, one monitor that the audience could see, and it had a terminal open full screen. And secretly, that terminal was dialed into a Tmux session that was running in the background of my computer. And then on my monitor that the audience could not see, I had a terminal split into several sections, and I, I had one of them was uh, Tmux, and whatever I typed into Tmux on my terminal was then echoed on their terminal. So they were seeing in real time the things that I was doing in the ter in my terminal. And that left me with a bunch of other things like speaker notes and code samples and things like that that I needed in order to then paste into into the Tmux session or whatever. So that really kind of um, that came to the rescue in a way that I did not take lightly. And I realized sometimes those features that you don't think you need now are features that you'll need in an unexpected situation later. And so I kind of defected to Tmux after that, just kind of out of sheer respect for, okay, this th this is a this is a forward thinking uh, multiplexer. And so I'm kind of on the Tmux bandwagon for that reason. Um, screen was was great for the the times that it that it served me well, and it is still very very good, and I still quite like it. But for an on on an everyday basis, I, I have to admit I'm happy to uh, continue to use Tmux simply because it's got a lot of features that even though you might not think you need it right now, 
you might need it later. I don't have a good sense for which or, or whether either Screen or Tmux are bundled by default on a regular basis. I, I don't feel like I would be confident if someone handed me a Linux computer, I don't feel like I would be confident that either Screen or Tmux would necessarily exist on there without me installing it manually. I don't feel like it's something that just comes bundled with everything else. I'm not really sure why, for instance, Screen, just because it is a GNU project, I don't know why Screen isn't sort of just a part of GNU utilities or something, you know, some kind of base... I mean, I guess, it, I guess it would be silly to include it in core utils, but it kind of does feel like it could just be, you know, part of the GNU system, but I don't feel like it actually is. Then again, we're getting a lot of stuff filtered through Linux distributions, so maybe maybe in a sense it is, but then other you know Linux distributions just decide, well, that's not really a package we want to include by default, and so they don't. I don't know, but it is a handy application. If you have it and not Tmux, then go ahead and use it. If you just prefer Screen over Tmux, then continue using Screen. It's not imperative that you switch by any means. I think both are great applications. They both do essentially the same thing, it's just Tmux is going to have a couple of features that Screen doesn't. And, you know, your workflow might not even demand um, multiple screens. <laughs> you, you might not even need terminal multiplexing, in which case, that's okay too. But if you do, keep in mind, GNU Screen exists. It's easy to use, it's easy to remap that control key, so have at it. Thank you very much for listening. I will talk to you next week. listening to the GNU World Order AugCast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as AugCast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. for your own abnormality. First through the locked doorways.